Hi, everyone, and welcome to the March 19th, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. The federal government has set a goal that all new vehicle sales will be of the zero emissions variety by 2040. But how do we get there when oil and fuel are some of the biggest industries in Canada? What can those who refine that oil do to help power the vehicles of the future? And if the internal combustion engine goes away, what happens when gas taxes stop being collected? Should there be a fee to charge your vehicle? Should all gas stations be required to offer EV charging? We'll discuss all that and more when I speak with Bob LaRock, the CEO of the Canadian Fuels Association, on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Bob, thanks for joining me on the show this week. Oh, my pleasure to be here, Greg. Looking forward to it. Great. Um, first, let's start here. Explain to our listeners what it is you and your organization do exactly. Yeah, so I represent the Canadian Fuels Association. So those are the refining and also uh, downstream of refiners, such as the uh, wholesale market and also the retail market. So basically, we're providing gasoline and diesel or any other types of transportation fuel, also for rail, for example, uh, across Canada. And our members, the the companies, they produce 95% of the liquid fuel that is used in Canada today. So we're very uh, Canadian-made. And so how much do you deal with the Canadian auto industry? What is that relationship like between your association and either automakers or dealers or sort of those who make uh, laws and legislations in the auto world? I just wonder what that relationship is like. Yeah, so it's a very, very important relationship because, you know, with climate change as the one of the number one priorities, uh, you know, just below the pandemic, uh, we've seen a lot of potential changes in the transportation sector, and that's why I go at a higher level. Um, and, and we will need to make sure that our members and us can provide the appropriate liquid, one, to help reduce uh, GHG emissions, but two, to make sure that the automotive sector, uh, when they are building cars or whatever, that the fuel we make uh, works. So as the automotive you're, you know, are looking at maybe reducing or improving, sorry, fuel efficiency, or even going hybrid or going full electric, uh, that influences us who makes those fuel. Um, number two, if we're making changes on our side with biofuel, for example, like ethanol or biodiesel, uh, we need to make sure that if we go to a higher blends, that it's also compatible with the cars. So they're fully, in my mind, integrated to try to address the transportation emissions on climate change. So let me ask you this. There's no question that the federal government, and especially governments in BC and Quebec, are intent on eliminating the internal combustion engine in one way or another. Uh, The two provinces have said we are going to ban the sales of them. The federal government has a goal of um, all sales of new vehicles being electric by about 2040. What does that mean for your members and what they do and the companies you represent? Yeah, so those those two policies from uh, Quebec and BC are... They're, they're, they're critical and in a sense that they're, they're, they're pretty much saying we don't want any more gasoline and diesel, which is what we're producing. Right. And, and we believe that in order to achieve uh, our goal by 2050 or net zero, that Canada is going to need multiple solutions. And I don't think that going only electric um, is the way to go. I think that you're going to see electric penetration. We believe in that. But to go fully electric for light duty... Um, across the country, and also even if you do heavy-duty vehicles, um, 
you know, there's a lot of infrastructure on electricity that's needed, both in residential, commercial, but also the production of electricity that needs to happen. And we believe that by doing vehicle efficiency or you're looking at biodiesel or ethanol blends or even hydrogen, for example, those are all solutions that should be available to consumers um, and that would make the overall cost of reductions lower because we're using existing infrastructure instead of building everything uh, new, which would be the electrification way. So there's a place for it, but we don't believe that it's for everything. So, so how can your members or how do your members plan on playing a role in transitioning to alternative energies and fuels? And it's not just electricity because you mentioned hydrogen. So what sort of things do you and your members have planned to help get Canada to where it, um, where the federal government at least wants it to be? And that is uh, zero emissions. So back in November, we launched something called Driving to 2050, which is kind of a visioning exercise, if you wish, but it highlights what our members are planning on doing. And some of those, you're right, it includes the biofuel production. So just on this one, you're going to see some significant investments in Canada to have Canadian-made biofuels. There was a $800 million announcement in December by Suncor and Shell and Enercam in Montreal. Two days ago, there was a $250 million investment for biodiesel in Prince George, British Columbia. So you're going to see a lot more of those and, and the reason why you're not, you know, seeing everyone yet is a lot of people are evaluating the federal regulation, the clean fuel regulation, and we're also evaluating the other provincial legislations that are being talked about so we can really understand the carbon credits and all of that's going to work. But you're going to see those investments. That's part one. Number two, you're going to see, and we call them like alternative fuel, but it's hydrogen. So the federal put out the nitrogen strategy. We're working with them. We made sure that blue hydrogen was part of that strategy which links to carbon capture and storage. So you're going to see a lot of investment also at the refining side to produce hydrogen to go into the transportation sector. Um, so those are two examples, if you wish, on the biofuel production side. The third one, actually, is us working more actively with the automotive sector on the electrification part of it. Uh, we, can, we can put charging stations in our retail and our gas stations. So that one is also working to making sure that as the demand for electrical charging station, if you wish, or even hydrogen at gas station, when the vehicles go up, that we're ready also to provide that uh, infrastructure. So there's an infrastructure aspect to it, but also a production of biofuel uh, part of it. And the tricky point is going to be the timing and the transition. So if one goes too quick, the other one doesn't go quick enough, uh, we can see some distortion in the, the fuel market. And that's what we're trying to uh, prevent. I'm glad you brought up the um, charging stations at gas stations because uh, Hyundai CEO or Hyundai Canada CEO Don Romano he's calling for government to require gas stations install fast EV chargers. So is that something you could see your members getting behind? Um, because then it would it, it gives them a reason to stop. And let's face it, some of these little um, franchises and and gas stations. They make money off of other things other than just fuel. So is that something your members can get behind is charging stations at gas stations? We, we can definitely get behind charging stations at gas stations for sure. But we, what I prefer to have is let the market or the consumers or, you know, decide and make it available for what they want. So if you, what I'm afraid of is if you require it and then all the investment goes into charging stations and then you're not investing in going to um, – ethanol at 15% or biodiesel at 10%, 
you're missing a huge important transition um, and that's what I'm afraid of. So I'm more open to all the solutions are being implemented and in the federal government right now, and they've put some funding, uh, like on the biofuel side, they, put, mm-hmm. they announced $1.5 billion, that that part of the funding that the federal government has goes for the infrastructure, either be electrical or uh, biofuels. So that's to help out that kind of infrastructure. And I think that is needed, needed uh, federal support to accelerate uh, providing that options to consumers. What do you say to critics who say biofuels use farmland to make gasoline rather than, say, food? I, I just wonder what your response is to that. Because there are critics out there who say that, that we are, you know, uh, growing corn and other things to make gasoline rather than feed the public. So what is the response from your association to a, to a criticism like that? Yeah, well, my response to this is that in, in the near future, for sure, um, everything should be based on residues. So it's not developing uh, cropland that were used to be for food and now they're becoming for, uh, sorry, for food and now they're becoming for fuel. It's it's making sure the residues uh, are being used from crops. Either it's like the, the corn stover or it's waste oil from um, restaurants or it's even forest residue, for example. That's another opportunity we have. So for me, it's all about using um, raw material that is not being used. And that's the sweet spot for biofuels. So this is about using everything that comes off the plant or the tree or the crop and not letting anything go to waste. Exactly, because when you let it go to waste, it emits methane, which is 250 times more potent GHG than carbon dioxide. So there's a huge benefit of not letting that raw material waste. As we're talking about alternative fuels, how hard is the hydrogen cell? I know Toyota is at least very significantly into the idea of hydrogen. I know that the federal government has um, dabbled with it and made some announcements. I know BC has some stations, Quebec has some stations, but how difficult of a cell is hydrogen and how difficult is it to build the infrastructure for hydrogen? That, I'll be honest with you, Greg, on this one, that's a question that I don't know if I have all the answer because it's a question we're asking ourselves. So we're, one of them, we're figuring out how to produce it at a high enough amount that it one it will make a difference. Two, how do we get it to the customers? Um, so I'm hearing conversation about there's not enough like either pipelines or how are we going to move it? Um, it's very localized. So you know maybe we were a refinery that as long as you're fairly close you can move it around, but you can't move this six, seven, eight hundred kilometers. Right. So it's the same questions we have, and I think on this one I'll be honest, we need to do some investments and produce more of it. Um, and at the same time, we need to make sure that we can get it to, uh, to the customer. And that's why we need to work with the automotive sector is how many of those fleets or vehicles are coming out using hydrogen? Where are they? And then th- I think we can find a sweet spot. And I think that's why you saw some uh, capabilities in certain parts of Canada. And we just need to make sure, like, call them hubs, call them, you know, working together collaboration. But I think we need a little bit more of that and find where those sweet spots are. Uh, where do you and your members stand on hybrids? Some, including myself, see them as sort of a bridge to electrification serving both ends of the spectrum. So your members on one end who produce the fuel and environmentalists on the other who want us to um, drive more responsibly using electricity, so to keeping the emissions down. Are hybrids something that you support and would like to see more of? Is that the answer in the short term? Where is your association at on, on hybrids themselves? I, I think the hybrids are, are a great solution because I think some of the hybrids that we're talking now are being underestimated, to be honest with you, because we're only focusing on the current type of emissions coming out of the, the gasoline we have. Hybrids have the capabilities 
uh, in our future as a liquid fuel to handle some of those biofuel increase. Um, the, the vehicle efficiency also falls within the hybrid format. So for, for us, we see the hybrid as a long-term solution, and it can get you a long way on GSG reduction. Um, and it, it also solves a problem where electrification may become an issue, either because of infrastructure, or it could be because of uh, length of travel, it could be the type of vehicle, heavy duty, for example. So absolutely, our group, our association, see hybrid as a, a way for the future, and I'm not talking five years. Like, we're talking decades. When we talk about electrification, um, one of the things that's received some attention, and maybe not enough, I don't know, is that you eliminate the gasoline-powered vehicles, you effectively eliminate the gas tax, which is used to help pay for things such as roads. Um, right now, the state of Minnesota is considering a tax on, a tax or a fee on charging electric vehicles. In fact, they're looking at uh, 5.1 cents charge per kilowatt hour. Is this something that you can see coming to Canada? Is it something your association supports? Is it something that's needed if fuel is eventually eliminated one day? I think the conversation on electrification needs to go broader than just climate change. And and we're starting to look into this as an association. So we're, we have like a six-prong approach, if you wish. And one of them is the economic impact, both on the benefit sides, but also on what else is happening, such as the excise tax that you just mentioned. Um, there's also the carbon tax. Um, how, you know, how is all those revenues going to be used in the next 10, 15 years? What, what revenues are going to be replacing those? How are you going to do this? Um, all of those are part, in my mind, of the electrification. And it's not just about a ban or regulation to get more vehicles. Is You need to think about the transportation sector. And, and my answer to that is I think we need to work broader than just a federal department or a provincial government or just us or just automotive, we all need to work together because there's more than one important aspect of this. Um, and we need to look at all of it because it's a, it's a supply chain or it's a sector. It's not a GHG issue only or a economic tax issue only. They all work together. How difficult is your job right now, given all those factors, given the pace of change right now? And and we see electric or we see vehicle makers, automakers changing to um, fully electric fleets by, you know, X date. You know, we've heard 2035 for some and 2040 for others. How difficult does that make your job when you wake up almost every day and some automaker has said, we're going all electric? What's it like for you and your members right now when you see that kind of news? I Different emotions on a daily basis, I can tell you that, Greg. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I still remember that Super Bowl ad. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the most difficult part of my job is um, is understanding what it all means. Um, because some of them were talking 20 years from now. And it's all nice, but what's the plan to get there? And now it, now it becomes nebulous. Like, is this a, a, a back-ended that for the next 10, 15 years, you're still going to need all that gasoline? Well, if we shut down too quickly in, in Canada because we think it's not you know, coming or whatever, what happens? Are we, are we going to start importing fuel from U.S. or, or Europe? So we, what drives me you know, up at night and what I, it needs the whole transition and timing is how do we do this to maximize Canadian resources, Canadian jobs, and Canadian infrastructure? And, and the other thing is, is how, and it's getting better, but who do I have to talk to to make sure that all of this is well understood? So, I, I, you know, I talk really well with some of the automotive 
national associations, and, and we talk on a regular basis, but there's other stakeholders I need to bring in, and that's what I'm trying to do in the next uh, weeks and months, is to make sure we have a fulsome conversation on, on the transportation sector. Someone asked me last month um, what the total electrification of the auto industry could mean to the oil and gas industry in terms of job loss. Do you have forecasts or predictions about that? I just wonder what you see in terms of employment and jobs and um, in Alberta, for example, or in Sarnia, for example, where a lot of refineries exist in Ontario. What happens to those jobs? Have Do you have reports or forecasts on what that might look like? Actually, no, we don't. So what we've done is we do have reports on the amount of jobs or the economic impact of a refinery. Okay. So we did an analysis uh, 2017, 2018, and what we try to demonstrate is like, um, you know, if, uh, and we use Ontario as a business case, uh, but what would it mean if we were to lose a refinery in Canada and, and the economic direct and indirect impact and all that? So that I do have. As far as forecasting 2030 and what does it mean and, there's so many assumptions right now that everyone's looking at. So I, I don't have a report. Uh, what we are working on is um, trying to demonstrate the multiple potential solutions and what do they mean. Um, so basically, you know, if, if we go to 20% on ethanol or 15% on ethanol and biodiesel, you're going to require that production in Canada. Well, there, that's investments in Canada. That's job creation. Uh, on the other side, if we if we get 25, 30, 50, 60 percent electrification on light duty, then what does that mean? Um, so we're looking at those, but I don't have a report that I can share publicly or a link or anything for your uh, for people listening. Not not at this time. Yeah, and I found it a difficult question to answer because uh, you don't know. And and the other thing is, even as the change happens, it's not like every gasoline powered vehicle is going to. Um, turn off the keys in the ignition and then they're done for good. They're going to remain on the road for 10 or 15 years from now. A, a new car will last 10, 12, 15 years, right? So it's not like they're eliminated immediately. Is is that also a difficult task to figure out where tipping points will come, what the uptake of electrical ve- electric vehicles might be? I mean, it, it must be so hard to predict the trends that customers are going to gravitate toward. Absolutely. And two, when I talk to some experts in the automotive field, the turnover ratio also changed from 10 years ago or or the amount of people who have vehicles, even with the pandemic. So try to figure out exactly, is this a five, 10 year turnover? Is this going to be a government policy soon that fast track this? You know, it's it's very difficult to predict the future. The other thing that's also important for people to understand and listeners is gasoline as a refining, um, it's about only 30% of the product we produce. So if you switch light duty and it's, but we still need diesel for every duty and we still need jet fuel and we still need uh, fuel for rail cars and marine, all of those products are the other 70% that a refinery makes. So we can't, you understand what I'm saying? Like if, we, yes, it's one part of it, but if you shut down the whole refinery, you're losing all of those other products too. Is it, is it frustrating that the focus is always on light duty vehicles, always on sort of the commuter and we don't talk much about well, what are we going to do in the airline industry or what are we going to do with diesel trucks? Uh, I, I just wonder, does the auto industry get a fair shake in your eyes or is there too much focus on light duty vehicles? Oh, too much focus. That's an interesting question. I think because it's think, always the ones in the headlines, right? It's always about, you yes. know, greenhouse gas and we've got to curb, um, you know, light duty vehicle admission emissions. But the fact remains, there are all the things that you just mentioned that also use fuels of a different type, but are very similar. Yeah, 
And light duty vehicles is only about 40% of the transportation emissions. So you got heavy duty, that's another 35, and then you have all the rest of the emissions. So in a sense, yes, I am a little bit, not frustrated, but that's what I'm trying to bring back to the government and saying, look, we should have a transportation sector strategy and not just light duty vehicles uh, because they're all interlinked. And, um, you know, and what's the next one? And then, but then you hear sometimes they start talking about heavy duty or heavy duty. We might go to hydrogen. And I said, well, if you want to go to hydrogen, you're going to need hydrogen. We can make hydrogen. And then the conversation is, well, can you make enough hydrogen? Can it replace gasoline? How does that work at the refining? And, and, you know, that's all new technology and it's all new investments. And that's the conversation I want to have. And yes, sometimes it's frustrating that the only thing we're talking about is light duty vehicles, but it's still important. So I don't want Greg to think that you know, I don't want to talk about it, but, you know, it should be more fulsome conversation. From, from where I sit and what I'm hearing it is, is it sounds like you would almost like to know what it is you would like us to produce, you know, how much or at what date or what is the plan? Is there just a lack of uh, concrete planning right now and just a lot of goals without a lot of um, planning to get there? Is Is that the difficult part right now is that you're not being told we need to eliminate this by this date and we need this much hydrogen by this date or to fuel this many vehicles or this many fleets? Is that what you need to be told in order for your members to do their job the best they can? I think it's more in a way, yes, but I think what I'm, there's two things I'm looking for. One is I want to have an energy conversation as well as a climate conversation. And now it's, they're not done. They're separate. So, right. you know, okay, I need 40 megatons here and I need 60 megatons there. Yeah, I know, but it, we need to have an energy. Like people need energy to move, to heat your house, to all do all that kind of stuff. So I'd like to have both. And the second one, I'm glad you asked the question because I, I do have some f- support from the automotive industry, but also from biofuels, from retail stations, is to create a transportation task force with the federal government so we can have those conversations. We can be all around the table instead of individually dealing with the clean fuel regulation or the hydrogen strategy, which is a different department. So. And also bring the province in, you know what I mean? So to have a fulsome transportation conversation um, versus just what do I think as a refiner, what do automotive people think, you know what I mean? It's, it's everyone together so we can start planning ahead because, yes, it helps everyone, right? So if I say to you, I can provide you all those biofuels automotive, keep making hybrids, that makes sense. Right. If you're going to go all electric or hydrogen and you need more hydrogen, I need to know that. So that's the kind of conversation you're right. I'd like to have, um, but not just with the government telling us what they want, more as a um, multi-stakeholder conversation, including consumers. How much does the United States play into this? Does it need to be harmonized in North America? Do you think? Yes, I think um, the United States is a huge market. So I think I'm sure all your listeners know how important sure. it is from the automotive side. Yep. For us, um, we're 95% production, like I said initially in Canada, but the the policies, especially on biofuels, and, and we saw some of them where all of the Canadian-made biodiesel is going to California because of RINs credits or the California legislation. So I think whatever the U.S. does as a national uh, program under the Biden administration, uh, we're keeping a, uh, an eye on it because it will influence possibly the Canadian-U.S. Uh, fuel trade, which Right now, we're pretty much just Canadian, but I can see some flows moving back and forth depending on what they do. So we'll end on this. If you were standing in front of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet today, what would you want to tell them about their plan for zero emissions by 4040 um, when it comes to light-duty vehicles? What is it that you'd like to say to them? 
please consider every potential options that gets you to net zero that allows flexibility for consumers on light duty vehicle. It's not just one option. Sounds good. Sounds simple enough. We'll see if we can get there. Uh, Bob, I appreciate you uh, being on the, the podcast this week. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. Very uh, good to be here. We reached Bob at his office in Ottawa. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.